Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. another episode in our Youthscape podcast, the new look Youthscape podcast with me, Rachel Gardner, and my friend and colleague in all things criminal activity, Martin Saunders. <laughs> Martin, you are so welcome. Oh, thanks. It's nice to be here. <laughs> and we have, as, as people have heard on the last episode, we have new equipment. So we have like a kind of these big spider's mm. arms with mics on the end of it, yeah. which means we can keep a very good distance away from each other. We've got like marvelous. a proper, if you want to imagine this, so... We've taken away producer Amy's microphone, which I think is probably for the best. Did we take it away? Well, I think she's actually I sort think of she voluntarily taken it, gave it up. taken it away herself. She surrendered. But that. she's got now. <laughs> she's got fancy kit that's in front of her. Which again, you know, thank you if you uh, if you do sponsor us yes, on uh, Patreon.com/slash/youthscape. This is what it's paid for. Um, so we've got these microphones and we've got this wonderful equipment. Uh, we've even got roving microphone equipment which we haven't even had had a chance to use yet it's in fact roved, we haven't had the training all, it's roved all the way from luton up to preston and back down to luton again that's how roving yeah. this stuff without is, being used without being used yeah. we also have the detritus and debris of our lives so empty coffee cups peel satsumas so live and friends you are in good company whatever your surroundings look like right now i'm excited martin about this new season we're yes. into like the second episode of this it's feeling good but I think we need to talk about our name that we've chosen to call this season oh, yeah. yes. the new normal. We're going to run into, I can pr- confidently predict, yeah. we're going to run into some trouble with this, yeah. this very episode. But what, what do we mean? So what the, do you mean the, by it? Yeah. The, 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 the whole of this season, we're going to take on lots of different angles on this, but we are looking at this idea of the new normal. And it's it's sort of, when they have like um, Oxford Word of the of the Year, I imagine really? coronavirus I will be Oxford Word of the Year. But oh. new normal has got to be one of the phrases of the year. No one had ever said that before. Who first said it? I, I'll tell you what will be the Word of the Year, furlough. Who had yes. ever said furlough before? Um, very conservative missionaries 30, 40 years ago. All right. I knew that word very well. <laughs> but the new normal is this this culturally prevalent idea that we are trying to kind of get through mm. what has what has passed we know that we cannot go back to where we were so we have to find a new kind of state of being which mm-hmm. feels comfortable to mm-hmm. us um, and so that's what the theme of this series is to some extent is is trying to figure out okay how do we do youth work in a way that's still going to make sense still going to meet our aims mm. and i think that we're being a little bit provocative by asking and framing that question because as Today's interview will reveal, um, you know, that is a slightly loaded term and possibly not the most helpful one for our mental health, apart from anything else. Absolutely. But we're going to stick to it. We are. We're going to call it No, but I think it's an interesting point. We wanted to kind of chat about this, didn't we? Because there's a sense in which we want to slightly deconstruct the unhelpful connotations with this, Mm. isn't there? Because I think we've, we've, 
don't know about you, but we've been through a lockdown season where the emergency mode has kicked in. And, and I wonder slightly for some of us, myself massively included, I sort of hit September and feel, you know, this, the, the absolute blatant dysfunction that was going on in my life all throughout lockdown. Surely by now I yeah. should have resolved that yeah. and now be adult enough to actually be able to juggle these many things and be a strongly amazing youth worker. And so I think we want to slightly kind of push back against any of these kind of marauding ideas that might come our way and kind of deconstruct what might be an unhelpful approach in you know one and say actually what could wise living look like in this season so um yeah this has been a yeah. really uncomfortable couple of months just just I the, it was a couple of moments while i was speaking no that was it's always very <laughs> comfortable. uncomfortable but um but you know we we went through lockdown mm. uh, you know stage one as it were we went through lockdown and the shock and, you know, the scrabbling to preserve what we could of our life as we knew it. And then we had the kind of unrelaxing of, of restrictions and the sense that probably if we carried on doing this, things were going to get worse again. Mm. And then they have got worse again. And we find ourselves in this really uncomfortable position that we don't know how to fix this. In mm. fact, we're coming to terms with the fact that no one on the planet knows how to fix this. And I can't think of a time really when everybody on earth has been affected by a problem that no one on earth can solve. Mm. Like when, when, when I was that before? Sin, probably. <laughs> wow, you are still a conservative missionary from to 30 go. to 40 years ago. <laughs> I just had to bring it. But it, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think, and I think even though there have obviously been pandemics and horrendous things, I think also the sense in which we are a smaller community, the global kind of technology means that we, we, are, we are, the shared experience of this is terrifying, yeah. actually. It amplifies our lack of knowing. You're absolutely right. Now, we are called to be leaders in this time. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're almost certainly involved in some kind of leadership with young people um, and what leaders sometimes need but we don't realize we need is we need pastors of our own yes. we need a bit of pastoring yeah. and that is what this episode of the Escape podcast is all about yeah. and I'm, I'm you'll be very grateful to hear that we are not your pastors <laughs> we are never your pastors. I'd like to sometimes but, pretend to but, do that but uh, <laughs> Reverend Will Vanderhart yeah. is um, he is a brilliant brain mm. great friend of ours uh he uh, was one of the people who set up the mind and soul foundation uh, more than 10 years ago now uh, which has been working to help christians um make sense of mental health in a faith context and they've done, they've done some remarkable work in in changing the way the church thinks about this stuff um but he's also having been at holy trinity brompton uh for the last few years he's now gone to become associate vicar at saint dionys i'm not sure how to pronounce it will Dion we're really sorry dionysus just listen to, to martin's dionys dionys <laughs> in parsons green there we go a church in london we're not reading it off the website but yeah absolutely great credentials and 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 I absolutely open your heart and ears to what Will is saying. But what I absolutely love, because I've known Will many years, um, and you hear in this in this conversation is that he absolutely is living and breathing this. Like this is stuff that has been formed deep within him over years. But when he speaks, you kind of think it feels like he's saying it for the first time, and there's something really tantalising about that. So I think you are absolutely safe to listen well. You're not about to be preached to, but this is kind of some interesting thinking just to kind of say to us, guys, this is unusual don't squeeze yourself into a future that doesn't yet exist allow God to speak into this space right now
Um, Judith Smith said um, that a shooting star can't help a lost hiker find their way home. Uh, and I found that really helpful as a phrase, just because if, if we're constantly looking at a changing world, we're trying to identify, like, how am I going to orientate myself in this you know, moving stratosphere, then, then I'm really never going to help myself out of the woods. Like, ultimately, I need, to, I need something absolutely concrete, not something moving to root my identity in. And I found just coming back to say, actually, what's my purpose? Like, why am I here? Who am I? That those questions that fundamentally root me in Christ, those are the things that actually give me strength to deal with the changes around me. So my encouragement, you know, we tend in our society to be very activated and very, very focused on our achievements, like what I'm doing, if you like, gives me validity. What I'm like, Melanie Klein talks about object relations theory. You know, we're always relating to something else to know who we are. But actually, the only thing that's concrete in my world is the consistency of God's love for me. So unless I'm actually like rooted in that place and can say, actually, my identity is secure, whether I can work out my job, whether I can actually even be employed, like my identity is secure, whatever happens. That, I think, is the way in which we can deal with unbelievable sort of disturbance in, you know, in life and, and incredible transience in life. Now, ultimately, Paul said, I can, I found the secret of being content in every circumstance. And that was like shipwreck, you know, people chasing after him with swords, um, you know, just sort of prison, every sort of disaster you can possibly imagine. But ultimately, he found this sense of absolute serenity and security in the heart of God. I think I'm a priest, you know, I, I totally feel similar, you know, church was shut for months. I had a massive crisis, like, who am I? What am I even doing? Like, do I even have a job? And, and God really spoke to me in all that with, actually, like your identity isn't about what you do, it's who I've created you to be. And you've got to stop chasing after the object and start focusing on actually your rootedness. That, that, that is, that's the heart of it, I think. And that has such a massive and profound effect on our mental health. Because rather than feeling like I'm the sum of my achievements, I recognize actually I'm enough. And if I get to achieve, that's a bonus. But ultimately, being rooted in who I actually am, who's God, who God's created me to be, that, that's like relief. Mm. During lockdown, I think so many of us, particularly in the, the youth ministry tribe, have been operating... Sort of both out of this place of we want young people to know that they are rooted in Christ you know, with all that's going on around them and we know that, that that is our journey too but also we've been operating out of a deep place of lack like we can't have face-to-face contact with young people all the things that would normally make sense of this calling or enable us to somehow in- enact this truth has been taken away from us and, and yet again as we look into September and the autumn that doesn't seem to be changing so so well how how do we as leaders process that, that, that this is what we are facing that, that the, these big questions that you've just dropped so powerfully into us that this is what we need to be engaging with when actually the day-to-day feels like nitty-gritty can we do zoom can we do face-to-face how do we give ourselves a chance to to reflect in the way that you've just brought to us how do we do that yeah so i mean what i said is like very good in theory but what's it look like in practical terms how can we actually do that and i think you know, there's no doubt that in our society, we've become very, very addicted to the crowd effect, you know, that actually, unless I'm doing it with a large number of people, it's not really worth anything. 
Um, and actually, I'm kind of I've been readdressing that because I've been leading in one of the largest Anglican churches in the UK, and we're very used mm-hmm. to sort of gathering four or five thousand people every Sunday. Suddenly, you can't gather four or five thousand people, and, and so what's that mean for your identity? And I just gone back to Jesus and the sh- you know, the shepherd story of thinking right, you're leaving ninety nine sheep in a pen, and you're going off after the one, and and that's actually all that really matters like what matters to God and what's on God's heart is that you're able to like make this phone call uh, to this one person. So for me, I mean, you know, I think going back to the sort of simple fact that actually whether I'm in front of a big crowd or whether I'm in front of no crowds, mm. like ultimately my ministry is the calling of God. It's not a competency of mine. And if, if we're constantly insecure about our competency, we're always we're trying to find a setting where we can prove that we're good enough. So we're like, oh, you know, when I've got a big crowd or when I've got you know such and such, when I'm in such and such a setting, then I'll know I'm good enough. Mm. That 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 that's rooted in insecurity. And I think God's ministry, excitingly during this time, is reorientating us to the one, and actually reorientates the purpose to which we've been called, which is actually in the service of the one. Mm. So. <laughs> I, I've recently taken a new job and um, and I've taken a job in a much smaller church and uh, this lovely lady who we both know who is Iranian um, from a previous church yeah. she um, she wrote on my Facebook wall oh you've you've been demoted um, <laughs> but I thought you were a good leader <laughs> and uh, I thought it was really sweet she was sending me best wishes so it was, it was really kind but yeah. but I understood the sentiment she was like oh you've been demoted and and on one level, that smarts on a human level. You're like, oh, yeah, no, people think I've been demoted. But I was like, actually, you know what? Like, the gospel's all about being demoted in order that Christ might be exalted. Oh, like, wow. <laughs> ultimately, like, everything we do is about being demoted so Christ might be exalted. And, and if we've ever got it the other way around, that we might be exalted, we're always going to end up with Christ being demoted in our lives. So I kind of feel like there's such freedom it's so anti-world, like this narrative, the gospel narrative, ultimately that Christ, the King of heaven, became a slave to death so that we might live a life in his name. You know, it's the ultimate reversal of the trend for power and influence mm-hmm. in the world around us. And so whilst I'm, like, I'm not for a moment suggesting that this isn't the hardest thing that's ever happened to an awful lot of people, but what I am saying is that that hardness also has some goodness in it Mm. because there's no doubt in my mind that the flow of our ministry, even though we all know humility is a key value in leadership has lent towards this idea that the greater numbers of connections, the greater our influence, therefore the greater quality of our ministry. And, and, And that's led to a comparative culture. That's really bad for our mental, emotional health. That's left a lot of youth leaders feeling like actually they haven't got any value when they're absolutely incredible. Mm. Um, it's a tough season, but actually we've called, we're called to measure ourselves by a different standard. And it's not the standard of the number of hits or likes or people in our podcasts. It's by whether we wake up every day just connected to Jesus and saying, Lord, in whatever way I can right now, I want to just serve you. Um, and I know I'm loved and I'm not the sum of my achievements. And that, you know, when I coach people in the Christian world, that's pretty much the hundred percent narrative is trying to coach Christians to believe that they're not the sum of their achievements. And like in, of all the narratives that there are for Christians to believe that would be 
the least probable theologically, <laughs> but in my experience, that's the most realistic experientially. Mm. And everyone, everyone says the same thing. They all say, oh, I know I'm not supposed to believe that I'm just as good as the last thing I did, but I just do. I'm like, where have we gone wrong <laughs> that you believe that you have to be useful to be valuable? You're valuable right now, and out of your value, make yourself useful for the kingdom on whatever level that is possible. Amazing, amazing, Will. Um, a lot of um, what people are feeling at the moment uh, is, is a kind of a grief at what's been lost, what they can't get back, the way we, we used to meet, we can't do it like that anymore. Um, there's also a bit of striving towards... Um, this phrase that's really um, we're using a lot in this season of the podcast uh, the new normal understanding what that is Um, do you think those are is that a helpful um, place to be as a leader trying to navigate your way between those two um, or not you you, you know you've really provoked my hobby horse there Martin so like (laughs) excuse me if I kind of get really riled up so so the human human behavior tends to lean towards like these two polarities like when we're anxious is it's either harking back to the old that we once knew. So we want comfort in the past. You could argue that that's the kind of the depressive view. We, we want what we've lost. We want to get back to where we were. The flip side is the anxious view. That is trying to make the future safe. And so we try and drive ourselves through our present experience into the future and kind of make a camp there. And so what, what we tend to find in our in COVID times has been pretty much from day one, people say, oh, we're going to we're going to get back to normal soon. That's the depressed view. The other view is, oh, we're going to we're going to embrace the future. And this is the new normal. That's the anxious view. So one is trying to make the past real and one is trying to make the future real. But what both positions are actually saying is I cannot cope with the reality of my actual present time experience. You know, I mean, people have written COVID books and actually published books about COVID. It's an absolute oxymoron. It's like going to a World Cup final and reporting on the outcome of the World Cup final at half time, like you know what happened. And we're living this story right now. So how on earth can you possibly write about a book about COVID? It's like absolutely, it's just bonkers. And yet it's also human because everyone's seeking reassurance. Like, is it going to be okay? We become addicted to the news feeds. Is it going to be okay? Suddenly everyone knows all sorts of stuff about like vaccines, like any of us know about vaccines. Suddenly like friends of mine who who didn't even do biology GCSE are telling me about how vaccines are going to work. Why is that? That's because actually we are dealing with the terror of the unknown. And I would say there, is, there are some circumstantial experiences to us in the 21st century which are unusual in history. So up until 50 or 60 years ago, there wasn't a prediction for even a three-day weather forecast. You know, it was tough to make a decent prediction. Now I can tell you what the temperature is on the North Pole at the moment. And so we've We've, we've got the ability to predict the future because of the technology available to us. And that has led us into a false sense of security, which is actually we can predict and manage any potential threat. In, in history, you know, raging Viking hordes might appear from Norway on the coast and just kind of come in and steal all your sheep. But you, you wouldn't know about it until they actually turned up in your village. So there was an immediacy to life, which actually meant that people could live in peace until the disaster struck. And then it was a short-lived experience. We are constantly living 
with the threat of disaster, even when it's not actually impacting our own lives. And that gives us this false sense of reality that somehow we can push through it earlier than we can. What we're actually called to do is live in our present circumstances, you know, not without hope, but also within the context of a reality. And that means living with uncertainty. And if there's one psychological phenomenon that I think is true in the 21st century is that we've become unbelievably intolerant of uncertainty. You wake up at night with a mild headache, you don't just think, oh, you know, maybe something's wrong with me and go back to sleep again. You go to Dr. Google and then Google mild headache and then you find 75 different diseases that you might have and then you can't sleep the rest of the night yeah. only to find that after a glass of water your headache's gone away and you've realised that you just were slightly dehydrated and you haven't actually got the bubonic plague. Mm. So, you know, we, we, we're so intolerant of uncertainty and so unpracticed at living with uncertainty that both our anxiety to get through this as quickly as possible and our low mood to try and get back to once we what once you know to what we once had become overwhelming and 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 people try and trick each other out by saying you know i mean i think week three i heard new normal as a sort of phrase you're honestly thinking do you really believe that you know what the new normal is Mm -hmm. like on on week and week three now we're in month three. I still couldn't tell you what on earth the new normal is going to be like. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone next week. As, as someone who can trace her own bloodline back to the marauding Viking hordes, I absolutely <laughs> right. agree, Will, that even we don't know what the new normal is. Um, I, I've heard you speak so eloquently about climbing Mount Everest, um, but about how we tend to focus on the numbers of deaths on the way up when there's a, then the crisis, the, all the energy is put to the crisis, but actually there are more deaths from climbers on the, on the way down. I'm, I'm, I sort of went, mm. went away from hearing you say that thinking, gosh, how, that that skill of being able to live in the nitty-gritty, li- live in the now that, that is shaping us and changing us that we have no power over. So just, I'd love to sort of hear some wisdom from you. How, how do we live well as leaders, as daughters, as sons in, in mm. the midst of this, in, in the pandemic age? Thanks, Rachel. I mean, I, look, you know, I think what, what I said earlier about sort of extension, activity, believing that we're the sum of our activity – Um, has driven us to this idea that what we need is multiple successes. So so what tends to happen is that in our insecurity, we we focus on the mountain and we say, I've got to get to the top of that mountain. And so we begin climbing and we we use our, our careers and our skills to basically start climbing on this mountain. Um, with the 8,000 meter peaks, the article I read was by a guy called Jordan Light in the Scientific American, and he was looking at 8,000 meter peaks. And basically, he identified that 15% of people who die on Everest or on other 8,000 meter peaks die on the way up. But 56% of people who die on Everest die on the way back down again. That means that they actually achieved their success by reaching the summit. But is that really what success looks like when you died up there? Like I started thinking, hold on a minute, how come you, you died on the, you die on the top? Is that success? No, that's not success. Success is actually being in Kathmandu airport car park. Like that would be success. They were just about to get on the plane and fly home again. Now, it struck me that everyone says, oh, I'm training to climb up Everest. But no one ever says, oh, what are you doing? I'm training to climb down Everest. Actually, that would be a much, much better phrase, mm. seeing as, Climbing down is much harder than climbing up. 
and actually that most people die on the way down, not on the way up. So why not train to climb down Everest rather than trying, you know, saying you want to claim to, 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 to train to climb up Everest? That would be like, it seems to me actually quite stupid to say I'm training to climb up Everest. That like, that's like saying I'm going on a really dangerous boat journey, but I'm only taking enough fuel so I can get halfway out to sea. It, it's like, well, don't you need fuel to come back as well? So in our workplaces, what we've done is we've celebrated the mountain peak and made that the sum of our success. It's like, oh, you got so high, you did so well. Your ministry was so incredible and influential. So what we've done is we've only celebrated half of the journey. And what we've done is we've actually criticized people who've taken time off or gone on retreats or taken their days off in the week or had a, had a rest or played golf or whatever it is they want to do. We've been like, oh, you're relaxing. Oh, and there's a lot of work to do in the kingdom of God. We've actually, we've acted in punishment against people who've tried to climb back down again. What tends to happen is that we've built success upon success upon success. And then people become more and more destabilized to the point actually when they do need to come back down the mountain again, they're so broken that actually they have a catastrophic accident and it all goes badly for them. We, I believe in our worldview that we've, we've created an idol of success in ministry in a, in, a, in, in a kind of a numbers game and in a kind of influential way. And, and the real success looks like retreating in order that we might advance. Sounds, to, wanna, me, sounds to me, Will, like it, there's a whole culture in the Christian ministry world, um, which has grown up around all these dysfunctions that you're describing. And so in, in one sense, there's some things we can do in ourselves, but it sounds to me like there's more like systemic culture change that needs to happen. I don't know how we start to, how do we start to provoke that? But getting people well, not I, to prioritise yeah, I mean, <laughs> something that leads us into Messiah complex. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean a lot of it's workaholism, Martin, as you know, I mean, I think what you guys have been doing at Youthscape is absolutely incredible because you're actually asking the tough questions and you're actually having the good conversations about what it might look like. And it takes leaders to give permission to other leaders to actually begin to live a different way. And I think, you know, we, we haven't had great modelling. I mean, I don't know about you, Martin, but personally, I felt pretty bereft over some of lockdown when I've heard some of these stories of just, just I mean, I still get perpetually disappointed when leaders make big mistakes and for me the biggest like blowout was John Vanier's story mm. I, I mean I, can't, I still feel I still well up when I start talking about it I've, I wrote a chapter of my last book about his ability to love people beyond acclaim and the people other people don't love and yet actually that story wasn't quite the story that it appeared to be mm. um, and, and I've seen as you've seen leaders across the fears of Christian influence, having lived double lives and, you know, disappointed us. And of course, leaders disappoint, and I'm sure I'm a disappointment in different ways to people, no doubt. But, but, but what's terrifying is there's something about the way in which we have been living, which I believe propagates burnout, breakdown, moral, physical, emotional, and, and, and yet we carry on as if that's not going to, you know, as if the next amazing shiny leader somehow can build success upon success and keep climbing this mountain without ever having an accident. And, and the definition of madness, and I deal with all sorts of mental health problems, as you guys know, is, is not actually really uh, the clinical terminology that you would anticipate. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Mm. So it seems to me that 
like actually the sort of craziness of our lives is not actually necessarily mental emotional health issues it's that we're perpetually creating a culture where we propagate the idea that actually you're the sum of your successes and then we're all completely transfixed with horror when another leader bites the dust because actually they couldn't sustain this process of achieving for the sake of their identity I, I, I've become I'm just interested in wisdom now I'm like I mean it says in the proverbs to like chase after wisdom I'm just thinking I, I, I want to chase after wisdom mm. not success like God knows how to live and he's teaching us how to live but it can't be rooted in this overactivity for the sake of publicity or acclaim like that's never what we were called to and, and I've got massive like a huge empathy for youth leaders because often they're working in contexts where there's an expectation to be like hey you need another 300 people in your youth ministry and they're like well I've got three at the moment so I've only got <laughs> 297 to go um, but almost living under this perpetual cloud of, mm. uh, of of a lack of success in totally you know inappropriate measurables Mm. um, and then feeling like of course it's inevitable that their sense of identity is going to be undermined by their lack of realized material success and so you know they they leave ministry because ultimately they feel like a failure but actually they're just they're, they're the glory of god manifest in in humankind brilliant oh this is this is so pat this is so powerful will and i i am um, i just love that you mentioned wisdom and i just indulge me a little bit friends because i i, I made me think straight away about um wisdom in proverbs and personified as a generous queen i'm like i just love that and she I, invites woman, right? <laughs> that's right, what yeah. you were thinking wasn't it well, so she invites people to come and 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 step aside from the path that they're on which you're sort of saying is actually we know that's not going to bring us life so actually here is a chance to get off it and 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 to come and and eat and eat this banquet it's just so beautiful I guess that that is that you've sort of really stirred in me I think people listening this to be curious about what this moment holds and what God is holding in this moment that we can say yes to and and uh, even as we we hold ourselves in the pain and the, and the struggle well thank you we we just so appreciate we just knew chatting to you that you would not just only bring some good ideas but you'd bring your very self and I think that's modeled to us this is how we live in this moment we we bring our whole selves and we meet and God meets our whole selves well thank you so much for for, for joining us today very important question martin have you climbed a mountain i i have climbed small mountains i love it you just can't say no well no like say no i haven't climbed a mountain well no my wife is very adventurous (laughs) don't hide behind joe she she wanted i think a couple of summers ago we were in uh we were in wales and she was trying to climb all the the mountains in not not snowden (laughs) slightly smaller ones uh but I, i kept do you know what i kept doing I kept going onto Google as Will was talking about people googling their their yeah, headaches. Yeah. I googled mountains and I googled how safe or unsafe they were, and I kept running into. I've sort of opened up my soul here. I didn't mean to do this. <laughs> this is good. But I kept I kept seeing that pe- how many people have fallen off the mountains, how many people have died, 
and how there were dangerous paths and easier paths. And so there's this conflict between my wife who is sort of, what's the opposite? I'm risk averse and she's sort of a bit of a risk seeker. Yeah. And she was like, let's take the kids, you know, in flip-flops up the most dangerous path. And she would never do that, by the way, if any of her class are listening mm. with a school trip, she would never do that. But with our family, she was fine. And, uh, and I was, I, I'd seen too much on Google and I kept trying to relegate us to oh. a small hill. <laughs> to a little hillock just just put some have you ever climbed head. a mountain i to be honest i can't actually remember i i do get dragged and forced to put like wet weather gear on and dragged up the sides of big things i don't know if they're mountains or just high spaces there's not a coffee shop in sight and there's generally lots of cloud cover so i suppose that might be a mountain actually having said that years ago went to austria and and climbing very high areas whether they're mountains or not is very different isn't it yes. where the view is where you come out of the, of the mist and the view is extraordinary. The thing about the place I've climbed is you go into the mist and you just stay in the mist. Were you perhaps you dressed again. as a singing nun as you <laughs> as you climbed the peak? And did you stand on the on the mountain? Oh, I probably did. Yeah, I probably. We know these. We have kind of. I've told these stories way way too many times, but yes, I have done that. Regularly. Of course you have. <laughs> of course you have. If anybody, if any mountaineering fans of Youthscape podcast are listening we'd probably be up for doing a mountaintop escape podcast at some point absolutely so you know get in touch you can by the way email us i should say that you can you can get directly in touch uh it's it's podcast at escape.co.uk and that goes direct to producer amy actually we would love it if you are listening do get in touch we would love to know how this new season is going down yes the new normal Youthscape podcast. Well, that is absolutely wonderful. Martin, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about a resource that we've been talking about during lockdown that oh, was yes. created suddenly during lockdown that's been trialled and piloted, the Together Apart resource. Tell us a bit about yes, that. Yes, yes. Before we go, I must tell you that we have uh, we had brilliant feedback to the first season of... Well, it's all seasons now, isn't it? Oh, it is. The first set of Together Apart uh, meeting guides. What we did was we tried to create quite simple... Uh, youth group meeting guys that could be adapted for use online. So they would work in a sort of traditional face-to-face setting, but if you needed to hold them over Zoom or something, you could do that. And so we, we it's sort of each guide is split in half. On the left-hand side, you've got the content. On the right-hand side, it's all notes for adapting it for technology or some other context. So we had great feedback for that. And so we decided to do a second season series set whatever you like of together apart and uh, they are now being released week by week online so you can start downloading those Uh, there are seven in the season and each one of these together apart meeting guides uh, gives you up to about an hour and a half of content if you want to use it Uh, it's all based around this idea of god at the center so this idea of um, young people uh, young people's discipleship being rooted in God, in God-centered living, mm. and you may be familiar with that idea from somewhere else. It is the basis of the Satellite yes. Festival, yes. Uh, which launches in August 2021. Um, but these stand alone from that, and it's just a way of you introducing some great discipleship ideas uh, to your young people, and they're designed so that you can use them face to face, socially distanced, mm-hmm. or uh, over technology like Zoom. Um, so they're very, very adaptable. Uh, they are completely free. And for each one, we've actually shot a bespoke video that you can show because we found video is really good over mm, Zoom particularly. Much better, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and so we've shot seven new videos 
so you get one a week of those free as well. So why wouldn't you sign up for that? And I have to say, all this talk about mountains, whenever somebody says they've released something at Youthscape, I mean, if you've been to our building, it is like a mountain, isn't it? It's about a, a billion floors here. Oh, yes. So I have, I have images of like Amy or Martin or Chris or somebody going to the top floor, opening a window and literally just chucking this resource out in a very wanton fashion because we have got quite wanton. That would create a lot of litter. It would quite, but we're kind of like saying, guys, just have it. Just download it for free. Yes. Just have it. This is more it's a beautiful it's thing. It's more to do the I get very fact excited. that we have no business sense than anything else. Okay. <laughs> Nobody checked that one off. But I love that. I love that. This kind of this sense of just like, we're up the mountain. It's really misty, but here's some stuff we've discovered. Have a yeah. go at it. That is awesome. That is brilliant. So, do, do guys, do get in touch, particularly in this episode. We've been thinking more about us as leaders. And I think one of the great things is that we do this together, don't we? Like, if, if the one thing for me during, during lockdown that I think I've benefited from is the fact that the masks have come off. Like, my dear friends on Zoom have seen me in team meetings where I've had to, like, negotiate the children having a terrible time in my life. You know, and actually, if there had been any sort of facades, and I know we all kind of, it's you know, self-protection as well, but actually the masks have, have come off a bit more. I think that's a really good thing. So let us, let us keep doing this together. So do get in touch, but only with nice things, because the mask is off. It's only nice stuff. Thank you. <laughs> I think we're done, Martin. Is that it? I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs>